Chris, welcome to episode 219 of X Last. And uh, real talk here, folks. Um, today is X Corp Day. And uh, folks who know my creative process will know that uh, even on days where I'm, I'm releasing something like a compilation post or an episode of Quester Days or something that just isn't completely X Lapsed related, I still write scripts. I try to write scripts every day. Just to uh, to make sure I'm a little bit ahead of the game in case there's ever a time where I just don't have the time to write a script, and uh, you know we'll just have to worry about uh, a recording. You know that's uh, a recording here. Uh, you know this episode will probably be 20, 30 minutes long. It'll probably take me about 80 or 90 minutes to record it uh, due to allergies, misspeaking, editing, all that kind of happy stuff. So in a day where I have a script already written. It's almost like a day off just to have to record it, edit it, and uh, publish it. Now that said, I script every day. And I've been up to this issue of X-Corp for about three days now. And so three days ago I should have scripted this. And I just couldn't. Um, I had it on my nightstand, but I also had uh, my ancient iPad on the nightstand. And I'm like, huh, well I could... uh, I could do another episode of a uh, of essential. I can read about uh, you know the juggernaut showing up at the uh, at the mansion, or I can read X Corp. And so uh, the juggernaut won out. And then the next night it was like, okay, well I could do X Corp, or I could uh, finish up that juggernaut story. And so I finished up that juggernaut story. It was only at the very last minute that uh, that I decided to do this X Corp issue because, uh, well, I mean, in order to keep the uh, Unflinchingly rigid schedule that I've put before myself uh, I kind of had to So, uh, my friends, I give you X-Corp Now we are still at the the Hellfire Gala This is X-Corp number 2 August 2021 cover date Stories called A Shark in the Water Written by Teeny Howard with art by Alberto Fochi Colors, Sonny Go Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles Designs, Tom Muller, Head of X's Hickman Edits, Amaro White-Sabolski Cover price, $4 went on sale June 16 of 2021. Now we open. With Monet getting ready to put on her Jumbo Carnation Abomination. Now she's got her hair pinned back, about to put some foundation and makeup on, and uh, as she does so, she's listening to some voicemails. Now the first one's from Sunspot, who wants to know what's going on with X-Corp here. Now we know that Birdo was involved with X-Corp a long, long time, I think even back to the Morrison days. Uh, but we know that he left to live with Cannonball and his awful wife, so uh, he ain't there right now, but he, he'll show up later in the issue. Uh, Monet dismisses the uh, the call. 
or the voicemail, I, I should say. Um, next is a message from Sebastian Shaw, which Monet dismisses before he even finishes saying his name. Um, uh, Monet is is really awful in this book. Um, I don't know. This is like turning the normal snobby Monet up to like 13, not even up to 11. This is just the worst uh, person that you're going to ever want to read about. And so I really don't want to read about her. You'd think she might want to take a call from Shaw since he's, you know, one of the top people at Hellfire and that's kind of, you know, X-Corp is... Who knows, who knows. Uh, the third call is Professor X. Now, he's a bit annoyed that uh, Monet did that stupid thing with the X-Corp garden-based gimmick at the end of last issue, kind of just like presenting it to the world. This is a thing that exists. Now, this put more attention on X-Corp than anyone was expecting just yet because they are working on a product that isn't yet ready to launch... And so their existence, I guess, is a little bit problematic. Again, like we talked about last issue, uh, a flying island base in the Marvel Universe is not a big deal. You know, this is this is like Tuesday, right? It's, oh, well, there's another flying island. Okay, great. Now, Monet dismisses the message, and she is quite annoyed. Um, Xavier basically just says, be careful, you know. And Monet is very awful. She then calls Warren, who's in the middle of taking a shower. Um, she tells him that they're going to have to make nice with some humans to get Xavier off their back. And, uh, well, we're not going to see them do that. Um, she then kind of demands that he thank her for the save last issue, and so he thanks her. He then comments to Monet that Sophia is a bit bummed out that X-Corp jumped the gun last issue, because um, she was planning this huge social media rollout when the new whatever-the-hell-it-is is launched. Monet doesn't even know who Sophia is. Which, why, why is this a book? <laughs> why in the hell is this a book? Um, Warren tells her, like, you know, if you're going to be a boss here, you probably ought to learn people's names. He then stands in front of the mirror and whap, whap, whaps. Um, Monet says that he's being disgusting. Now, I think he's supposed to just be shaking the wetness out of his wings, kind of like how a dog shakes off when they're wet. But whap, whap, whap. Uh, maybe it's just me with a dirty mind, I don't know. Anyway, from here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Monet St. Croix, Warren Worthington III, Trinary, and Multiple Man. We get back to comics, and it's 7.30 p.m., so I guess the timetable gimmick is still a thing. We got the Madroxes in the kitchen preparing to be the waitstaff for the evening. Now, one of the dupes isn't too keen on this, and, uh, well, I can't say as though I blame him. Madrox Prime, or Dr. Jamie, or whatever we're calling him, he gives the dupe a noogie and threatens to reabsorb him, so, uh, everyone's a dick in this book. <laughs> Why is this a book? Uh, Jamie is then called by Trinary, who is sitting in the sage spot at, uh, X-Corp HQ, probably because so many folks conflate the two characters anyway. It's like, do we need two? Do we need a sage and a Trinary? I don't know. Uh, now, Trinary tells Jamie that Warren and Monet have a number of meet-and-greets to attend to tonight, and they include a meeting with Sunspot, Mastermind, Saline, and a human named Sarah St. John. Now, Jamie wonders why he wasn't invited to sit in on any of these meetings. After all, I mean, he is a member of X-Corp, right? And so Trinary sends him the itinerary. Then we're off to the green carpet, where a bunch of photographers are just giddy at the sight of X-Corp, which tells me they probably didn't read the first issue. Uh, Monet is being a jerk to Jamie and basically making it seem like he doesn't need to be there. Jamie calls her out on this, reminding her that she destroyed his lab. And, you know, dozens on dozens of dupes. Monet brushes this off, claiming that she'll just buy him a new one. 
Um, now, Jamie asks Warren what the plan is for the gala, and Warren says, well, we have meetings, and you've got dupe staffing to do. So, I don't think he meant anything malicious by this. I think Warren is being painted as, like, the nice guy, like, the only nice guy in this book. So, I don't think he had anything necessarily, you know, malicious about that statement. It's just a, a statement of fact. From here, an info page, and it's the meeting schedule for X-Corp, written up by Windancer. At 9 p.m., they have a meeting with Neil Shara. Now, that's a name we haven't heard very often. Uh, this is the Claremont return-era Thunderbird, who nobody ever cared about. Uh, now, he comes recommended by Bishop, who he worked with during the Extreme X-Men days. Now, Sophia's recommendation is to meet with him briefly. And M jots down some notes saying that they're going to find something for old Neil. Their next meeting is at 9.30, and that's with Sunspot. Now, we all know Sunspot. Uh, he signed a bunch of his personal money into the X-Corp endeavor, and as such, he's got a lot of questions about uh, the potential botched launch. Now, Sophia's recommendation here is to meet with him briefly. 10 o'clock, Celine Gallio, the Black Priestess. Um, now, there's a nod here to her nasty behavior away from Krakoa, which I'm guessing might be a reference to the recent Captain America story where she, uh, well, she killed a bunch of humans. So she probably should be rooming with Sabretooth right now, but whatever. I guess we just won't think too hard about it then, or I guess think about it at all. Now, Sophia's recommendation is to meet with her, you know, with caution, and also in a public place, if, uh, if at all possible. Angel jots down some notes here, and he says he does not see them ever offering Saline a position on the board. Just doesn't see any use for it. 10.30 p.m., Sarah St. John of the Noblesse Pharmaceutical Company, and uh, these were the folks who kvetched about the mutant's use of the Savage Land last issue. We learn a little bit about Sarah. She's a triple PhD and not even 30. And uh, she's listed here as the only human who wants to chat up X-Corp, which seems kind of weird, right? I, I, you'd, figure, you'd figure more humans would... Especially with how, like, people were snapping pictures of them and just, like, fawning over them. You'd, you'd think that... I don't know. We won't think about it too much. Now, um, now this Sarah has a bunch of medical patents, and Trinary describes them all as a mess. Not sure what that's all about. Now, Sophia says to meet with her with caution. Finally, 10.45 p.m., Mastermind. Sophia suggests that Mastermind is trying to horn in on X-Corp PR, which is currently her role, so she ain't happy about it. I wonder if they'll mention his recent story arc in Hellions. Uh, what am I talking about? This is a Teeny Howard book. Um, now, it looks like X-Corp had some uh, other meeting requests as well. Uh, they, of requests of their own, I should say. X-Corp wanted to meet with Bishop to offer him a position. They also wanted to meet with Risk to, to offer her a position. Bishop politely declined. I mean, he's a busy guy as it is. And Risk was out of range. From here, we get back into comics and... Oh, I hope you're ready for some hot meeting action here. Um... 9 p.m., Neil Shara. Now, this interview is two panels long. Uh, Warren just says he comes highly recommended by Bishop and that they'll be in touch. So I'm so glad we're getting such pertinent story beats uh, as this one. Uh, 9.30, Sunspot. Now, this interview gets three panels. Uh, he just wants to check in on his investment. And he says that he's got even more money, so he's going to buy himself a board position. So, hoo 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 the intrigue. Do mutants care about money again? I thought we didn't care. Not, never mind, never mind. Now elsewhere, Dr. Jamie trades places with a dupe so he can eavesdrop on some of these X-Corp meetings. Now he's in contact with Trinary, 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 um, and they both confirm that they've been offered seats on the board. Now Jamie thinks this is weird because Trinary, Trinary is so young. 
Trinary Trinary responds that uh, responds to this by asking where Layla Miller is. The hell does one thing have to do with the other? And I, I mean, we haven't heard about Layla at all yet in this era, and this is how we finally bring her up? It's like, hey, you're young. Hey, aren't you married? What the hell? Um, now, Jamie calls her nosy, but does not answer as to Layla's whereabouts. And uh, I'm actually kind of interested, because I don't know where Layla is, and I think we've mentioned her a few times during the uh, duration of this program. 9.30. Warren is dancing with Celine. She wants to join the board as something of a negotiator. Now, Warren isn't so sure about this, but Monet immediately takes, takes to her. She likes her, so... I, I have to assume that Monet has met Celine before, right? There was that whole Necrotia thing, right? Uh, you gotta assume that M knew a little bit about that. I don't know. Well, we'll just uh, allow it. I mean, it's a brave new world, isn't it? Elsewhere, Quentin Choir has zapped the Fenris twins. Now, they want to spot an X-Corp, maybe? Which basically facilitates everyone calling them Nazis for the rest of the issue. Which, I mean, of course, Nazis are scumbags, right? But uh, it begs the question, are Nazis offended by being called Nazis? Like, I mean, if you are a literal Nazi, and like proudly a Nazi, is being called a Nazi an insult? I, I don't know. Uh, whatever the case, uh, Warren and Monet tell them that they've got nothing to offer. Then, Sarah St. John shows up, and... Well, she's here to chat with the Fenrai. She's not here for X-Corp, apparently. Uh, the Jamie dupe then reveals to Monet that he's actually Jamie Prime, and he asks why he's being jerked around. Now, it's here that we find out that Jamie didn't actually accept the seat on the board yet, I think. Monet says it's an offer, and so the ball is in his court. So if that is the case, then why the hell does Jamie feel so left out? I mean, this is all up to him, right? If he wants to be on the board, he's on the board, and then he could be privy to all these conversations. Right now, he's the one kind of tap dancing on the uh, on the fringe here. So this really doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, does it? Then it's 10.40 p.m., and Warren and Monet break off to meet with Mastermind. Now, Mastermind's pitch is basically that he can make people see whatever he wants them to. I mean, that's kind of his whole gimmick, yes? Um, now, he walks the CXOs around a beautiful landscape before revealing that they've really just been walking around the kitchen. Now, this seems like, and I'm probably thinking too hard about this, but uh, maybe the most untrustworthy way of trying to build trust. You know, so if he does start working PR, he'll just be screwing with people's perceptions, which one would imagine will eventually come back and bite them, right? Um... Uh, naturally, I mean, all Wingard will be offered a spot on the board when we close out, so what are you going to do? Now, Madrox pops over to interrupt, because he's heard from Trinary Trinary that Fenris ha- is headed to the X-Corp HQ, the, the big floating island. Which, for whatever stupid reason, is open to all mutants. So the top secret base is, uh, anybody's free to, to come and go, right? So even so, uh, so very, very stupid. Um, now Monet assumes that this is a bad thing. It's like, no duh. Um, now, a dupe reveals that he's got eyes on Andreas, uh, who is about to head into the bathroom, but doesn't know where Andrea is. And Monet runs through a gateway to check their base. So, to the base. Andrea is here, and she's holding up Trinary Trinary at gunpoint. Then, like a panel later, Monet as penance bursts in and knocks Andrea out. Okay. 
Back to the party, it's now 11.40pm, and it's revealed that the Fenris twins will be pharma consultants for uh, Sarah St. John's Noblesse Company. So, uh, ooh, intrigue. Now, Noblis is uh, that Cole guy's venture, and uh, we met him. He's the one that Warren met with last issue. We, we know all about him, or, you know, a little bit about him. We don't really care, but we know who he is. So here's a question. I thought Fenris were already part of the Hellfire Trading Company. So wouldn't this be, at the very least, a conflict of interest? Or has uh, Ms. Howard just never bothered to read Marauders and uh, just saw these two characters as an opportunity to write some dialogue about how much we hate Nazis? I don't know. Well, Angel and Andreas walk and talk, with the former making some threats at the latter. Now, Andreas suggests that Warren won't fight him in public, and so it's revealed that, well, they're actually far away from the party. And their surroundings had been affected by masterminds, so they're actually, you know, far away. They're a good distance, so they're in private. We jump back to X-Corp HQ, where Monet and Andrea fight. Um, are these pages out of order? Are these panels out of order? I thought she was just knocked out. Okay. Um, now, back to the island. Warren beats the bejesus out of Andreas, while apparently getting so mad that he transformed into Archangel. The mastermind used his powers to hide this fact from the returning Monet, Trinery, Trinery, and Madrox. So he looks just like regular old Angel in his carnation abomination and not the blue-skinned Archangel. That's where we leave it, but we do have an info page where mastermind is named as a CXO of X-Corp. So, whoopity-doo. Next episode, we thankfully start the final four. Issues of the Hellfire Galley here We're going to be taking a look at Wolverine The cover's got Deadpool on it So I am kind of looking forward to that But uh, for now um, <sighs> I'm going to keep these thoughts brief Because uh, frankly um, It's it's just going to be me Kind of saying that I don't like this book And I don't think I need to beat anybody Over the head with that here And I don't want to I don't want to fall into, like, a parody of myself where I'm just being the angry review guy. So, uh, I'll just say I don't like this book. Uh, the art is really nice. Um, that I will give it all day, all night. Uh, the art here was fantastic. Everybody looked awesome. Even in the abominations, the the carnation abominations, everyone looked really, really good. Uh, Alberto Focci, great artist, uh, deserves better than this book. Um... I have a few questions here. I don't know why mutants need money again. I thought we were past that. I mean, in Savage Avengers not too long ago, they had literal bags, like rooms full of bags of money at the old Hellfire Club, right? And they were just handing them out. <laughs> they gave a bag to Conan. They gave a bag to uh, Night Glider or whatever the hell his name is. Deadpool got a bag. Everybody got a bag. Uh, well, actually, Conan didn't take the bag. He just wanted the Hellfire Club itself. But uh, he was offered a bag. So I thought we were past mutants needing money again. And I mean, this is me projecting and talking out my ass here, but uh, is is Teeny just not reading anything besides her books? I, I don't know. And again, projecting. I have absolutely no, uh, no uh, imp- empirical uh, knowledge or proof. So just my hot take. Um, bits and pieces of this story felt like they were uh, being told out of order. Um, kind of not, not so much confusing, just uh, off-putting to follow. The flow was just all over the place. The characters are 100% unlikable. Uh, There's nobody to root for here. I mean, the closest we have to a a nice person in this book is uh, is Warren. I guess Trinary Trinary is is okay, too. But uh, 
it's just it's it's a hard it's gonna be a hard one to find people to root for here. Um, and I also I, I can't I can't stop feeling like this book doesn't have any reason to exist. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong. You know, I hope that uh, I come around to this book. I don't want to not like something that I'm reading and spending five to six hours writing about, reading about, and uh, talking about, you know? This isn't just me, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to talk about a book and then spending 20 minutes talking about a book. Because uh, despite how this all might sound, a lot of work goes into these episodes each and every day. Um, But I think that's probably all I got to say about the issue. Uh, I'm still not sure why a flying island is such a big deal in the Marvel Universe. We've got helicarriers, we've got secret bases, we've got things in the sky, things underground, we've got gods walking on the planet, we've got alien invasions every 20 minutes. Uh, Why is a floating island a big deal? It shouldn't be newsworthy at all. But, uh... I think that's where I'll leave it, because uh, at this point, I'm sure I will just start ranting and repeating myself, and uh, frankly, I do enough of that as it is. So, that's my thoughts on X-Corp number two. Not a fan of it. Uh, But before we go, let's hop into the mailbag here, and we're going to talk about a book that, you know what, I did come around on. A book that when we started it, I thought I was going to hate, but turned into one of my very favorites of the line here. So, let's go to Damien, who's talking about X-Factor number nine. He says, God, I love X-Factor, and I'm going to miss this book. It's just a perfect little corner of the X-Universe, which works entirely within its own logic. Williams and Baldion are an amazing team. I was struck in the goodbye letters in the next issue how much credit Williams gives to Baldion. Apparently, he was very involved in the plotting and pacing of the book. Now, this explains why they were able to achieve so much together. This particular issue is very crammed, but they juggle a lot of plots very effectively. I found the Celtic pages an effective way of covering a lot of ground very quickly. And I agree. I agree not to romanticize it, but these two are kind of a dream team, right? Uh, Love them on uh, Gwenpool Strikes Back. Really, really digging their vibe on X Factor. And uh, I haven't read issue 10 yet. I haven't. uh, I know there is a letters page in the back. I did flip through it and I saw the the letters, but uh, I haven't read it yet. We will be talking about that in, in greater detail when we get to it, I believe, on... Friday if I don't get struck by lightning nor a bus in the interim. But um, I did notice that uh, David Baldion is actually listed as one of the writers or plotters or story uh, developers for the next issue, which is really, really cool to see him get credit for that because, yeah, they are they are wonderful together. And even in a jam like they were here with issue 9, I mean, the, the Celtic page is definitely a result of truncation, but as you put it, an effective way of covering it. You know, I mean, that could have been an issue on its own. And I don't know that it would have been since we were still butting up against the Hellfire Gala, but I definitely feel like there was more There was more to the Morrigan story, especially in bringing back Shatterstar and his relationship with Richter and having that odd hex put on them at the end. I think there was more to it. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you can, right? The realities of comic publication are what they are. And when you're told that your six-issue story arc needs to be fitted, retrofitted into six pages... <laughs> You do the best you can, and, uh, you know, of course, with that in mind, this was very, very well done, for sure. Damien continues, As I'm not only following out of order, I'm also commenting having listened ahead. I have already heard you discussing feedback on this issue, and I need to let you know that Dazzler and Lila Cheney have definitely teamed up before. Between the end of the Dazzler series and joining the X-Men, Dazzler was a keyboardist and background singer for Lila Cheney's band. She had dyed her hair black to be slightly incognito following the anti-mutant backlash after Dazzler the movie. 
This is a key element of the introduction of Malice of the Marauders, who gets Dazzler to reclaim the spotlight from Lila, and those were in Uncanny Issues 210, 213, and 214. I just knew they had to have teamed up before It just makes too much sense I just couldn't have pointed to exactly when and how that all worked out Damien wraps up with Anyway, until Amazing Baby gets possessed by a god of death <laughs> Make mine X lapsed I think we do need a, uh, a King in Black Amazing Baby special Like we had the King in Black uh, Jeff the Landshark over in Deadpool number 10 That was a really, really fun story And a lot of adorable <laughs> art of... Uh, of Jeff the Landshark in a, a symbiotic shell It's really, really fun I would love to see an Amazing Baby take on that um, I gotta wonder what's gonna happen to Amazing Baby now um, it, it was kind of alluded to that maybe Rachel will rejoin Excalibur Since they do have an opening So I guess that'll all remain to be seen But uh, thank you so much for writing in on that issue, Damien It really, really means a lot Next up, we got another letter from our friend Meal. Now they're writing in about X-Men number 21 now they say, Hi, thanks for the positive response to my first letter. So, about X-Men number 21. I'm mostly going to talk about the team and the members. Although, if nobody's told you already, the man that Cyclops was talking to was Kevin Feig. Feig. Feig Feig, I don't know. Uh, he's the main constructor of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and as someone who got into comics through the MCU, I like the cameo, though not the speech. And I could totally get that. I, I think... Uh, if I knew who that was as I was reading it, and if I was more into the movies, I think that would have popped me pretty good. Um, I didn't know who it was. <laughs> I, you know, I still couldn't have pointed him out of a lineup if I had to. And I, I'm one of the people, the very few people, I think, who are kind of really digging in their heels, hoping that the MCU version or vision for the X Men. Doesn't happen um, I just want them to I want them to worry about the comics That's just my my old man take on it And I know that probably Probably rubs some people the wrong way But uh, you know I apologize It is who I am And uh, if nothing else You're always going to get honesty from me here As for Cyclops' speech No good No good I, I almost thought like maybe St Steve Orlando took over for those few pages Because these were words that should never come out of people's mouths in that order. Just not not a human speech. Uh, this was like this was like AI. <laughs> you know, it was not good at all. Mill continues. I have a couple of problems with the X-Men lineup. One, they're all human passing. Mm-hmm. The most non-human passing the most non-human passing is Bloody Polaris. Well, she's got green hair. Also, it's overwhelmingly white with no POC women. I recommend either Tempest or my choice, Monet. One, you can get her out of X-Corp. That would be great. Two, you can have a love triangle with her, Sink, and Wolverine. Though I'm not a fan of Sink and Laura. Two, there are no queer characters. And as someone who is queer, Cyclops is most likely banging Wolverine and on, and on Thursday's Jean. Also knowing Marvel, he's not going to be able to call himself by or kiss Logan on panel, which is fine. I just wish there was at least one queer character on this flagship book. Especially seeing as our X-Factor, the most queer X-Book ever, is being cancelled. There's also the power redundancy of Sink and Rogue. I'm happy that it's a mostly woman team, but also why on earth would anyone vote for Sunfire? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. First, regarding the lineup, uh, not something I've given much thought to because... I have absolutely no um, thoughts that this is going to be the lineup for very long. Um... 
I mean, these teams, all teams really, are very, very fluid, especially on a flagship book. Now, although I have absolutely no proof for this, I have a sneaking suspicion that this is just going to be the team for the first arc. Then I think we're going to pepper some people in, pepper some people out. I think it's going to be kind of a rotating door with like a core of Scott and Gene. And to address your concerns, it's weird. I've heard uh, like both ends of the spectrum on this. I've heard people complaining that it's... Uh, that it's too diverse, and I've heard people complaining that it's not diverse enough. Um, like I said, I, I'm i in the middle there because I don't have any confidence that this team is going to be the team forever. Um, Marvel can't keep volumes going for more than a couple years, much less teams within those volumes. But what say you all? Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this new team here? Is it, uh, is it just what you wanted? Is it uh, missing something? Is it making you want more? Just uh, let me know. Let me know so we can discuss this uh, as we as we move forward here, because we still have a little while before we're going to introduce this team on the show. So I'd love to get some thoughts before we uh, like some cold thoughts, uh, though. I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening to this probably already read volume six. Number one, I just have not. Um, now, for the power redundancy between Rogue and Sync, that's another one that's uh, kind of sticking out to me. I don't know why we need both of them. Um, I'm only assuming that, uh, that we want to further explore the Sync Laura thing, and that, uh, Duggan has plans for Rogue. And that, that, that takes me right to Sunfire. I can't think of a single reason why you'd want Sunfire on a team other than the fact that maybe Jerry Duggan has something expressly planned for Sunfire, because he's not, uh, I mean, pardon the pun, he's not a hot character. I think at his hottest was the AOA, and that was mostly... Due to the uh, Majuara suit <laughs> that they uh, gave him, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a questionable addition to the team here. I uh, I don't know. He's not a likable guy, and uh, they're already joking that he's going to quit the team within a week. And maybe that's what they're going to do. Who knows? Maybe he'll be the first one to leave, and then we'll get a new member. And who knows? <laughs> it could go anyway. Uh, Meal continues. Most people seem to think, from what I've seen, that X-Men number one is pretty good, so I'll stop whinging this loudly. Now, I'll have to take your word for that, because I've basically put myself off the grid as best as possible. I've got... My my social media feeds right now are so heavily curated. Um, I've got words muted. <laughs> I've got accounts muted. I'm only seeing, like, I'm in my own little fool's paradise echo chamber of, like... It's still June. <laughs> it ain't July yet. So I don't know anything about the book here. I do know from the uh, solicits when we covered the Marvel previews issue that it looks like there's going to be a giant robot or an alien. But I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that is what it is. I don't know anything more than that. But it is Jerry Duggan, and we love Jerry Duggan on the show. So I've, I mean, I don't know that there's been a single thing that Duggan's written so far. That I've had anything bad to say about Except for Planet Size Which was more of a gimmick than a story anyway And I don't know that uh, I don't know that that would be the best way To judge judge you know his writing On a, on a story that is very much It's not even a story It's just a, a, a scene That is predicated on moving things forward Rather than exploring um, topics and concepts So I have absolutely no concerns about Duggan and uh, Pepe Larraz on art. Fantastic. Cannot wait. Uh, now Meal wraps up with, So until Speed is a mutant and becomes my favorite mutant, <laughs> make my next lapsed. Now, Speed is not a mutant, right? I think Did we talk about that during uh, X-Factor? Now, Speed and Wiccan have just confused the bejesus out of me here. I don't know what their deal is here with... Uh, 
Because those are like kind of Wanda's kids, but kind of not, but kind of manifested. I, I don't know. We'll just we'll just leave it at that right now. We'll we'll talk about we'll talk more about that later. But uh, thank you so much for writing in again, Mila. Uh, definitely looking forward to hearing more from you. So thank you so so much. Next up, we got Andrew talking about Planet Size X-Men. We've actually got two letters talking about Planet Size. We got Andrew and Evan. We're going to start with Andrew. And he says, Thankfully, I didn't have this issue spoiled for me. With all the hints leading up to it, as well as the name, I pretty much figured that they were going to colonize Mars. And hey, that's pretty cool. It's a cool idea. Obviously a very big event. Moving those pesky Arakoians away from the main action is a nice added bonus. The ways in which the mutants use their powers was nicely planned out. It was very cool seeing what they can really do with their combined power. It makes sense that the mutant nations would be very, very scared. And this is one of those things where I agree in a vacuum. You know, like, if this was the only thing happening, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a big deal, right? Colonizing an entire planet, taking over an entire planet. But this is the Marvel Universe again. I mean, I have a real hard time... I have a real hard time trying to get myself worked up about this. I like it as a uh, as an element of the lore, and uh, despite the fact that I really don't care about the space stuff, maybe if we colonize some of it, I'll start to care. <laughs> maybe I'll be able to relate to it a little bit more. I don't know. Whatever the case, it, like you mentioned here, it got the the Araconians out of here for a little bit. Who knows what they're gonna do? I mentioned during that episode that we've got. Uh, We've got, like, the Sentinel Plantation on Venus with uh, with Orcus. We've got Araco on Mars. Earth's in the middle. Maybe we're setting ourselves up for a some sort of a crossfire war. I mean, it's more space stuff, but uh, that's kind of the, the flavor of the day, isn't it? That's the, the soup du jour is uh, space stuff. Andrew continues. But on the whole, I'd say I enjoyed this issue. I think the acquisition of Mars is a cool story development and a major change to the whole Marvel Universe. But it felt like the majority of Hickman's X-Men writing. It was cold. It was unemotional. I thought it was very interesting, but it didn't grab me and pull me along, waiting to see what would happen next. It was expositional. Still, even though I criticize, I did end this issue on a positive note. It's a suitably epic event to be the center of the Hellfire Gala. Could it have been X-Men number 21, though? Yes, it could. (laughs) Yes. Um, It was very procedural. It was very cold. Um, it was a it was a recitation of events, um, which that's why I'm saying it's it's kind of hard to really judge Duggan on that because he had a he had a job to do, and I I think I mentioned this during the discussion of Planet Size is that we have a lot of pseudoscience involved in this, but the way it was presented, it all made sense, you know, to me. It's it of course it doesn't make sense that we have got a guy, you know, implanting metal into the planet. We've got uh, a, you know, weather goddess crashing lightning down. We're, we're, cutting a, we're cutting a vein and filling oceans. I mean, of course, it's not something we can relate to, and it doesn't make sense in the real world, but in the context of the Marvel Universe, it, it works as well as it's going to. And, I mean, one of the things that I, I, again, I think I mentioned this during that episode, where Hickman tries to give us the pseudoscience, it's more of a lecture, it's a, hey, look at how much smarter I am than you. Uh, sit down, you're going to learn something. But when it's uh, Duggan doing so, it's like he's kind of taking you along on a ride. You know, it's like, here's what here's what things are, you know. Doesn't talk down to you. Doesn't try to sound a, a lot smarter than it needs to. It's, it's conversational. It's casual. But still, um, but still clever, you know. And that's definitely something I will always give uh, Duggan's writing. 
Now, Andrew wraps up with, so until we see Namor eat crow for his behavior last issue, make my next lapsed. Well, personally, I hope that never happens. I don't want to see Namor have to eat crow here. He was, uh, the presentation of Namor there was just excellent. You know, absolutely excellent. Uh, definitely probably the strongest character that Hickman's written, to, in my opinion, anyway. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about Planet Sized. Uh, next up, Evans also talking about Planet Sized. He says, Greetings from the Silver Age of X-Lapsed, circa Excalibur number 20. Evan is, of course, time-traveling here. Uh, he follows uh, primarily through Marvel Unlimited, but grabbed Planet Sized as to not be... Uh, not be terribly spoiled. So let's get into it here. He says, Just dropping into this all new, all different future, or your present, since I bought Planet Size X Men the week it came out in order to avoid spoilers. I was successful for the most part. I thought Krakoa was going to move to Mars and set the stage for Asteroid K. I think I could be forgiven for forgetting about Arako, since back in my day, they haven't done anything or been mentioned since, what, X Men number 16? I'm glad to hear there's some context coming up in future issues of Cable. And also, more sinister secrets? My cape is a flutter. And yeah, the Arako, uh, they, they haven't been mentioned really at all outside of, um, you know, Xavier and Magneto's visit to them in X-Men number 16, and then that scene with Cyclops and Cable in that issue of Cable. Really not much. So it's nice they're finally being dealt with. So there will be some context for you in that issue of Cable And the Sinister Secrets, a lot of fun A lot of fun there And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on those When you get to, uh, to X-Men number 21 Evan continues You summed up the issue well Solid writing, solid art But as for history and shaking the Earth or any other planet Not so much It might be a where were you day in the story But for comics readers? Nope, not yet anyway You're right, the test will be how it's remembered over time and yeah, that's a that's referring to kind of my main bone of contention with Planet Size was the fact that it was advertised as being as big, if not bigger, than Giant Size. And I mentioned during the discussion of Planet Size that uh, Giant Size number one isn't a great story. You know, it's the the where the X Men go to Krakoa for the first time. It's not a great story. Of course, we remember it a lot differently now because it's the start of everything, right? Here we have Planet Size, which again. It's not a great story, but it's setting things up for the future. But we just know that the future looks a lot different in 2021 than it did in 1975, right? In 1975, the future was as long as it could be. You know, the future is forever. Here in 2021, the future is 12 issues, right? Um, A year, maybe two. So Earth or any planet shaking, that's going to remain to be seen. And... I mean, this could just be a uh, trivia pursuit answer at some time down the line, right? Instead of uh, being as uh, as pivotal a point as I think it's being presented. Evan continues. I had the same thought as you about why Jamie just didn't snap his fingers and terraform everything. But I think there's a limit to even his seemingly limitless powers. I don't have the issue handy, but didn't Gene have to telepathically download the plans for the sword station into his brain? So he can do anything he can think of, but there's still a limit on what his brain can process. I don't remember that myself, and uh, I've also filed that issue away, so I can't double-check. But uh, if that is the case, then, uh, uh, you know, I sit corrected. A mea culpa to that weirdo Jamie Pratt here. Evan continues. 
You're also right that terraforming a planet shouldn't even be all that impressive in the Marvel Universe. This is just another example of the Hox etc. era running up against that invisible line in comics where they can't fix too many real-world problems. I.e., shouldn't Reed Richards have cured roughly every disease before Krakoan meds were even a thing? But then that that wouldn't be a world outside your window. So it's a balancing act. And that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point here. There's only so much you can do... um, but I mean, it, it is, like you said, it's a balancing act here. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't be a big deal <laughs> in this world here. Aliens are knocking on Earth's door uh, every other day. It's, I don't know. Um, I guess we can give it the one thing that, uh, that Mars in the Marvel Universe really isn't, I don't think we know all that much about it. It ain't like the, you know, the blue side of the moon or, or whatever, or the, you know, a moon of Saturn. It's just, uh, it's Mars. <laughs> and I don't know that we have, uh, I don't know that we have, this isn't DC. We don't, we don't have, we don't have a Martian Manhunter. Speaking of DC, I, I liked, um, what Roy Thomas did around, uh, pre-crisis when he was doing like that all-star corner of the DCU with, uh, all-star squadron and stuff like that. A big question, you know, we, we, we require logic these days, right? We can't just uh, enjoy comics for being comics. So, you know, if there, were, if there were superheroes around in the 40s and during World War II, then why didn't they just end World War II? Right? That's a big question, and it's a uh, valid question. And so Roy Thomas introduced, like, the, was it the Spear of Destiny or the Staff of Destiny, which made it so any superhero who landed in Germany or arrived in Germany would be... Uh, like brainwashed by uh, by Hitler, like turned evil, turned crazy, and uh, I mean it's a it's a silly and comic booky explanation, of course, but it does answer the question as to why you know why didn't Superman just end World War Two? Well, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't because of this, and uh, I don't know that Marvel has an like something analogous to that, so I guess it's best to just uh, not think so hard about it, right? Not think so hard about it. Evan wraps up with, well, I'd better get back to my original timeline and listen to Marauders number 19's episode before history changes and Kid Cable has to come to retire me. Well, thank you so much for risking the space-time continuum to uh, come into my present, your future, and uh, share your thoughts on the the pivotal planet-size X-Men. And I hope you made it back to your your home timeline uh, with your memories intact. You know, you might have to wait until you reach the time loop to get your memories of uh, Planetized X-Men back. So hopefully you still remember everything. Hopefully you got back safely. And hopefully a, uh, a you know, faux hawk wearing uh, cyborg from the future didn't, uh, didn't take you out in the, uh, in the interim. But uh, thank you so much for, uh, for writing in, Evan. Now, one last thing before I let you all go. This is a Monday episode, so we do have uh, This Week in X. And... It's a handful of issues, right? Um, on shelves this Wednesday, at least according to Comic List, is uh, we got four issues here, three of which we'll probably be covering on the show. We got Marauders number 22, New Mutants number 20, X-Men Legends number 5, which uh, I believe that's the Peter David X-Factor one, which uh, we probably won't be discussing on the show. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy number 16, which is part of Last Annihilation. Not sure if we'll be covering that one on the show either. I'm going to have to... I already have it ordered, so I'll take a look at it and see if this does tie into the Old Man Cable thing or if S.W.O.R.D. is involved. If they are, of course, we will cover it. Finally, they are releasing the Generation X Epic Collection Volume 1. So if you have an extra $125 and uh, don't have Marvel Unlimited and you really want to have this on your shelf, then... 
it's there for you. Generation X Epic Collection. Now, this week on Marvel Unlimited, there are three issues we've discussed, including Children of the Atom number two, Wolverine number eleven, and Power Pack number five, which I think um, I think like three copies of that issue were sold, and uh, I bought one of them. So uh, <laughs> that book nobody cared about. Oh man, I, I know I've been I know I've been whinging and whining about numbers a lot lately, but uh, oh boy, that Power Pack episode. Oof, nobody wanted it But, uh, hey, maybe with its arrival on Limited, people will, uh <laughs> No, no, nobody's gonna care But uh, we'll, we'll just take it as it comes But, uh, that, my friends, will do it for today If you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do it several different ways You could find me on Twitter, at Ace Comics On Instagram, at 90sXmen Uh, there's a, I think there's a Pinterest now, too, somewhere There, there has been a Pinterest I just finally realized that I can still sign back into it, so that one might be X Lapster. Chris is on Infinite Earths. It's one of those. Um, I just you know throw the episode up there every day, so not a whole lot to see. Don't even know why I'm mentioning it. Um, you can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail or you can call into the X Lapse voicemail hotline at six two three three nine six jerk. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to Chris's on Infinite Earths dot com, which uh, I'm hoping to totally redesign pretty soon because I realize that it's. Uh, messy <laughs> It's not user friendly And uh, what's more, it's not mobile friendly I tried looking at the site on mobile And boy It looks rough So um, hey, if anybody has any tips on how to make it look a little nicer Hit me up, let me know I would love to hear some Because uh, I have very little eye for design <laughs> If anybody wants to uh, Give me a few pointers or tips I would uh, definitely, definitely take them uh, you could chat us up on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. And I've actually branched out and I've started to uh, post some questions on various X-Men uh, Facebook groups. So we will be discussing some of those comments in the coming episodes as well. Uh, I asked some questions about the basics of Hoxpox here. You know, what were your thoughts on Mora being a mutant? Uh, the resurrection protocols on the Crucible. Got a lot of very interesting answers. So we'll be uh, sharing those in the uh, in the coming days. I've also asked some questions about Beast's current year um, presentation. You know, is he a sociopath? Is he just doing his job? The answers might surprise. No, they won't surprise you at all. We all uh, we all kind of know where where Hank's at right now. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to sharing those bits and pieces with you in the coming days. So I hope you're looking forward to that as well. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comics commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available everywhere the internet aggregates noise. And if while you're there you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, maybe tell a friend or two, like I like I always say. Um, but that's going to do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for sharing this three quarters of an hour with me today. It really, really means a lot, so thank you. And till next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Searching for the real thing Living